Hello, Silvertown. Welcome to Silvertown Podcast. Let's jump on the Silver Train and ride right into the incredible, wonderful world of sobriety. Remember, jump on over to SilvertownPodcast.com. Our Silvertown resident, Elaine, aka East Sky, with Champion Creatives, built this amazing website to where we could reach out and help educate people in sobriety and build a community of sober warriors. Another sober town resident, Todd, has built some amazing, amazing, amazing modules, sober toolboxes. There's 15 different sober toolboxes in that one. Four ways to fight cravings. Your body on booze has modules in there, five different modules in there. He's building more. And sobriety discussions, it talks about all different aspects of sobriety. One of the first ones he ever did was what fires together, wires together. And it's, it's a module on neuroplasticity. And a lot of these modules, Todd has recorded them in audio. So you can listen to them. You don't have to just read them. Or if you're really ambitious, you can do both. Today, we have a very special guest. His name is Scott. He's from Denver, Colorado. He owns Transitions Sober Living. He owns six homes there in Denver, Colorado, where men are living in these sober homes. Hello, Scott. How you doing? How you doing? Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for thanks for showing up and doing everything that you're doing, man. You're just amazing, amazing, amazing. You know, I get to do that today. There was a time where I didn't get to do this. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's talk about that. Tell us about yourself. Uh, so my name is Scott Mounts. I'm the owner of Transition Sober Living in Aurora, Colorado. Um, I have six houses. I house 65 guys a month. I've got six years in recovery. My sobriety date is 11-15-15. And, you know, I had 23 years prior to that. Um, and I just didn't get it. And I thought I could drink again and um, put me right in the same place that I was. Uh, I've also done a little bit of time. Uh, I got 23 years, 10 of it. I was locked up at the time, but I didn't drink or drug in the penitentiary. And I got out and made it 13 more years um, and just got really complacent. I didn't really work a program. I was just basically what we talked about earlier is I was a dry drunk. I was chasing money and I was, wasn't working a program. Uh, November 15, 2015, I went into a treatment center or a little bit prior to that. I went in and I uh, stayed 11 days in treatment and got back out and went right back to the basement I was living in and made it four months. And I drank for about another week. And so then I checked back into the same treatment center and I was just done. You know, they say when sick and tired of being sick and tired, I was way past that. And because I had 23 years before, I had something to kind of reference, you know, on how, how good I could feel, even though I wasn't working a program. So um, while I was in there, I did 11 more days this time, but I, I listened to what my therapist and my counselors were telling me. And, you know, their suggestion to me was that I, I should go to sober living. And in 2015, I didn't know what sober living was. You know, I thought it was part of that facility, but it really wasn't. Um, I met the guy who owned the one that I went to. And, you know, I was going to go for 30 days and make everybody happy. My probation, my uh, wife at the time, I was going to make everybody happy. They were going to see that I was doing everything well. Needless to say, 15 and a half months later, I was still living in that sober living. So you were still on probation or parole? Was it parole? I, 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 no, I was off parole. Um, I, I ended up, I got two DUIs. Uh, I got a DUI at 9.32 in the morning. I'd slept six hours the night before. I woke up to go to the liquor store. I got pulled over. I was talking to the officer in my hometown just like this. I knew who he was. He knew who I was just because of the club I was riding in. And uh, I said, listen, I'm going to get drunk. If you just let me go, you can pull me over in 10 minutes, and I'm sure I'll be drunk. And he gave me a BA. I blew a 4-3. Wow. So I was intoxicated 24 hours a day. I was waking up drinking in the middle of the night, not knowing I was drinking. And, but I was doing, you know, other drugs with it, cocaine, which was keeping me from feeling drunk. But yeah, so it was 932 in the morning. I blew a 4-3. My story is consequence, right? A lot, of, a lot of my story, I didn't have a lot of consequence. I came from a, uh, you know, well-to-do family. I didn't hurt for anything. I didn't want for anything. And when I got in trouble, money could get you out of it. And 
you know, I got my first DUI, high BAC. I lost my license for a year. I drove the whole year without a license. Um, I only had a year probation because I hadn't been in trouble since, you know, you know, way before 2000. I got out of the penitentiary in 2000. I went in in 1990 and got out in 2000. So it was like a little bit of probation, you know, a year. I could do that. I just did 10 years. I could, you know, I could do probation for a year and I did it and I got off and no consequence there. And I ended up getting another DUI, another high BAC. I blew a 4 2 on that one, but that was legitimate. It was four in the morning. I'd left the bar and, you know, it's just how my mind worked. I, so when I moved into the sober living I was in, I was still on probation. And, you know, I, I did what I had to do to, to get off of it. And, you know, the amazing part is I did 15 and a half months in a sober living and I got to really fall in love with the idea. And then my, you know, being, I, I consider myself a serial entrepreneur. I like to start companies and get things going. So I felt I could do sober living a little bit differently. Well, let's, let's back up a little bit okay? because you're going into sober living, but it's not because you don't have anywhere to go. Mm -mm. You, you can, you can afford your own home. Were you still married at this time too? Yeah, I was, I was, I had a house in Castle Rock, Colorado, where my, well, at that time where my wife and kids, or we were just freshly divorced. So my three kids and, and my ex-wife. So we had a big, a house there. Um, I had a basement that I was also rent uh, living in that uh, from the guy who I worked for for 17 years that wasn't part of sober living. I worked for a financial uh, company um, for 17 years. So that's where I was staying. But um, yeah, so I didn't have to go to sober living. Right. You had resources. Yeah. But you were referred there by your probation officer. Yeah, well, for my counselor at the treatment center I was at and my probation officer agreed that going back to the same location that I was uh, probably wasn't a good idea. And it was time for me to listen to suggestion. That's what I was told. So your mindset at that time, did you want to get sober? Um, Yeah. You know what? I've had enough. I mean, I was drinking five pints a day and doing two eight balls of cocaine for three years straight. And I wanted to get straight. I knew what it felt like, but as a man, I didn't want to detox. Right. And that's why I ended up going to treatment and I knew I needed a medical detox because I could only get so far of not drinking and feeling bad. And I knew what was going to make me feel better. And that was one shot. One shot was going to make me feel better. But once I did that one shot, it, you know, game on, right? My addiction always told me, yep, one will make you feel better. And that's all you'll do. But once I did it, then I would just continue on. You know, it, it's, it's that cunning, baffling powerfulness, right? It just, I, I can go back and look over my last relapses. And that's exactly what it was. It was, you know, oh, do one shot. You'll feel better. You won't feel sick. You'll be able to go to work. But once you do the one shot, I never made it to work. I just, you know, I would just go get a bottle and keep drinking. So sober living wasn't, you know, I didn't have to go. I wasn't court ordered to go. And like I said, I was only going to go for 30 days. Uh, so I could probably get back to where I was living and I didn't lose my job. And But it turned out to be 15 and a half months later, I was still living there. And you're so you're living in with other men yeah. in a house. And you're going to meetings and you're doing your own system right there. Plus, you're like the one percent. You were in a one percent club then, too. Right. Yeah. So you're kind of used to doing your own thing without all these rules and regulations. Going into a sober living home was probably a pretty big transition. Yeah, it, it was humbling. And it was a very militant, strict, sober living three meetings a day. If you weren't working a meeting a day, if you were working church on Sunday, um, it took me a while to get used to it. Now, I'm not going to lie. Did I play the system a little bit? Yeah, I did. I mean, I had my probation tell him, hey, he can't be doing that many meetings. He's got a family. He's got to be able to go see. He's got to, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. You did that. Right? Huh? But, but right. I was still there. And, and right. the way sober living works and the way I think it works is it, it's, it's a place to get a seed planted. Right. If I'm around like minded people, hopefully I become like minded. You know, if I'm sitting in a bar every day, I'm probably going to drink. OK, if I sit in sober living and I'm around men that are are trying to get sober, then that's probably what I'm going to gravitate to. And that's kind of the idea 
And you mentioned something earlier when we were talking about a toolbox, right? Your, your sobriety toolbox. And that's a big thing with me when I was in treatment. They gave me this, you know, you have this toolbox that you put all this stuff in while you're in treatment, whether it's 28 days or 11 days, you're putting all this stuff in, in this toolbox and you know how to use it right there with everybody in treatment. But you have no idea how to use that on the outside world, right? Because you're not around like-minded people. I mean, a lot of relapses happen because people go back to their family and now they feel like they have to walk around on eggshells. They also feel like, you know, let me speak for myself. If I did that, I feel like I, I deserve to be trusted now. And I don't. You know, if I'm 20 minutes late coming home from a meeting and, you know, my partner's like, where have you been? You know, well, you know, the first thing they think, of course, what, what I've shown them my whole, you know, my whole drinking career was I was probably out drinking. But no, I was at a meeting and I, I take offense to that. And then my addition says, well, why don't you show them what drinking's like? Right. All right. <laughs> you know, I'll show you. You think I was out drinking? Whatever. I'm gone. You know, and that's uh, the pitfall. So sober living is that environment of men that are like minded, that are working for a common goal. A big thing that I talk about when I speak is, you know, just because I want to drink doesn't mean I'm going to drink. OK, I'm an addict alcoholic. Wanting to drink is normal at the beginning. Right. But if I went home and I told my wife, hey, man, I want to drink. She's on the phone with, you know, my probation. She's on the phone with my counselor. It's just a want. Let's say put action to it. It stays a want, you know, and, and another analogy I use is when I was locked up, I had a lot of time to think I want to rob a bank. OK, but I know there's a consequence to that and I know what will happen if I do. But I truly believe I can get away with it. But it's only a one. I'm not going to do it because one, the consequence two, I know better. And three, you know, if I found out I was leaving this earth tomorrow, you know, I'm, you might see me on the news. OK, because <laughs> I might put some action to it. And that's what people don't understand with their family is just because you want to doesn't mean you're going to. Right. It, it, it's natural for us to want to drink and drug. I mean, until you get some sobriety time, it's just a want. And so when you're around like minded people, if I walk into that house with, you know, sober men, I'm like, dude, I had a bad day. I wanted to drink. They hey, suck it up, buttercup. Tomorrow's another day. OK, we all want to drink, but we're not going to let's go to a meeting or let's sit here and have dinner. Or let's watch TV. And that's the value to sober living. When we go into treatment at, at the age that I did. I, I I knew the difference between right and wrong, but because of drugs and alcohol, I didn't have the ability to realize that. Once I put drugs and alcohol in my body, the one thing I lose is my ability of choice. Okay, I'm, I'm going to drink again. Okay, but with six years of sobriety, I know the difference between right and wrong. I knew the difference between right and wrong when I went to treatment. I just didn't have the ability of choice not to do and continue what I was doing. So you did the treatment, then you got out and then you got in more trouble, right? Is that how that happened? So I went to treatment the first time for 11 days, went right back to work, back to the basement I was living in at my boss's house. And I made it four months. I started to drink again for about a week. And I'm like, okay, here we go. I can't do this. So then I went the second time to treatment, same place. But this time I was really serious about it. And I took suggestion and I, I stayed 11 days and went door to door. I went straight from there into the sober living that I lived at for 15 and a half months. Because you knew that you needed more. Right. And during that time, I made some tough decisions on the club life that I was leading that I, uh, I did what I needed to do to get out of the club that I was in. And because that wasn't going to help me. Uh, and I don't mention their name. And right. I because uh, I still ride in a club today. I just ride in a different club. I ride in Sober Souls Motorcycle Club. We've been in Colorado for 30 years. We're all just sober. And we're not a men's group. We're a traditional MC. And we do hang out with the other club that I was in. And but I get to leave when I want to leave and I don't have to sit in bars and, and do the stuff we were doing. So, um, I, you know, I made a lot of big decisions to stay in sober living for as long as I did, because 
as I say, the more people I surround myself that are in recovery, the easier my recovery is. Right. I don't have to worry about, hey, man, let's let's go sit in a bar. Let's let's go river rafting and drink. Well, the people I surround myself with, 93 percent of the people I talk to on a daily basis that I'm around in, on a daily basis are all in recovery. You know how easy that makes my recovery when I don't have to worry about, you know, we might go do something, go drinking or doing it something makes else. it amazing is what it makes it. Right. And I'm selfish. I don't want to work a real hard program. And I don't work a hard program today. I did a lot of work to get to where I'm at. I, I, I got sober in 12 step. I stayed sober in therapy. My, my main problem is mental health, ADHD, bipolar. And, and, I, and I love that. You've recognized that, you know, you had your sobriety, but the, the real recovery is in the mental health. Right. And so I did a couple of years of heavy duty treatment. And, you know, I lost both my parents while I was locked up um, or, you know, I lost, well, let's see, I lost one of them. The other one I did, you know, it's, and then just being locked up for that long, you know, what it does to your mental health state. And I said, none of that bothered me. Well, of course not. I was drunk all the time. I never had a chance to work through it. So somebody suggested, Hey, you're working a great program. Why don't you go to therapy? So I did. And I, and I worked through some stuff. I had some anger issues, of course, and I had to get medicated early on. I'm unmedicated today. I dealt with my past and I just work in the present today. And that's what's amazing. I, it hit home to me when I sat in an AA meeting and said, and AA said, hey, you can't do this for anybody else. You have to do it for yourself. Um, and that's where I came up with the idea of my sober living is that's kind of how I work it. I can't get you sober. I can't keep you sober. You can get yourself sober and keep yourself sober. And we both can learn from each other. Everybody's a teacher in this world. Some people are going to teach me what to do and some people are going to teach me what not to do. So you're living in a sober house for like 11 months, right? 15 and a half months, 15 and a half months. So you're, this is where iron sharpens iron because it's not all kumbaya living with other men every day because nope. everybody's probably got their shit going on as each day cycles through. Yeah. You got to use that toolbox, right? You have to, you got, right. You got to bring out the stuff that, and, but you got to bring it out with somebody who understood, um, you know, it wasn't somebody who didn't understand that was going to freak out if you said you wanted a drink. Uh, it was somebody that knew how to kind of walk you through it, that they've been there also, right? They, they, they know right where you're at. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're living with 11 guys in a house, uh, you know, and then there's going to be relapse and, you know, people in the house that have relapsed and you, you know, but you know, you're not going to drink or drug unless you think about drinking or drugging. Right. And, and but, and it's not only that it's the mental aspect too, uh, because everybody has been stuffing their emotions would drink for all these years. Now you got 11 men in this house. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, you guys had it better than I did because I was in a home with 13 men in a two bedroom house. Well, and, and let me tell you, it got, it got pretty volatile at sometimes just to get your little bit of space. Your yeah. Bit and you know, and then, then you're going to try to start sharing your feelings with a bunch of guys that don't know how to accept that. And they're trying to do the same. And yeah, it, it, it's a learning experience, but I think, you know, if you're all working for that common goal, I mean, and you know, nobody, you don't have to stay there 15 and a half months, but that's just what I needed to kind of get through my therapy and or well off into my therapy and just figure out who I was again. Yeah. And, you know, I, had a sponsor and my sponsor said, listen, I don't think you're going to be here for a year. So we're going to do all 12 steps in four months. And we're going to start get, you're going to start to give this thing away because that's the only way I see you're going to be able to keep it. And I'm like, what is this? What are you feeding me, dude? What do you mean? Give it away. I can't keep it. I, I said, I, I retained the knowledge. I can keep it. But you know, as my story progresses, I mean, I believe that 100% today, I cannot keep my sobriety without giving this thing away every day. And, you know, and that's, that was the hard thing. You know, I accepted I was an alcoholic and a drug addict. That was, that was easy. That was just me saying, yep, I am. But if I didn't put any action to the, you know, there's only one step that mentions drugs and alcohol, all the rest are about my mental health state. All right. And so, that's how I worked it. I kind of worked a backwards program. I was, okay, they're not putting a lot of focus on drugs and alcohol, but, you know, all the other steps are talking about mental health and this and that. And that's what I, I, I focused on. I, were, I went and got, had some therapy and did it. Two, I, one time I was going two times a week. 
And I went, I got through the stuff that I was drinking over and I didn't have a need to drink after that. And so today with six years, I go to meetings because I want to, not because I have to. I talk to my therapist every once in a while because I have to. You know, I would, I would like to mention a little, you were sober 23 years before that. Yeah. But you never worked a program. Mm-mm. And now you're six years sober now and you have more than you've ever had versus back then. Right. Oh, this six years is so, I don't want to say easier, but more fulfilling than the 23 years that I had. Yeah, I, I made great money in 23 years and I moved through the company, but that's not, that doesn't make me happy today. I mean, I lived in a, you know, six by nine cell for 10 years. I was, ha- I left with one bag of stuff after 10 years. I mean, I don't need much to be happy. My, my addiction thought I did though. And I'm, I, I'm an addict in everything I do. And, you know, so I was addicted to making money, but with that came. So I said, if I don't do alcohol and cocaine for 23 years, I didn't, or actually back then it was cocaine and weed. I really never drank maybe a three, two beer once I did. wasn't a drinker because my mom was an alcoholic and I said, Hey, I'm not going to be like her, but yet I was smoking weed and, and doing cocaine. So I said, if I don't do that, I don't have a problem. Well, I didn't. I didn't do it for 23 years, but I picked up alcohol first 23 years later. And then the cocaine came back also. And it's true. I took off right where I left off 23 years ago. I didn't start off small. I bought a bunch. And, you know, that that's that's the scary part of this disease is, uh, you know, I, I sit in treatment centers and I speak and I ask people, you know, how many people there'd be 50 people and how many people relapse? You know, 94 percent of them raise their hand. That's scary. That's scary. And that's when I tell the people, really, I don't even need to say anything else. Why don't you just sit there and look at each other who's raising your hands and talk to each other? And if one of you says, hey, that last relapse was so great. I had a great time. You know, I'm just in treatment because I want to be here. And, you know, that's the person to talk to because you're not going to find that person. It's progressively going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. And And it does. So you're going through this program, through the sober living home. When did you decide that you wanted to start your own sober living homes? Probably about halfway through, you know, when my addiction was saying, I don't have to do what he's telling me. You could do this differently. You know, it, and a lot, I'm going to say that probably the idea probably started with spite, you know, because my, you know, one of my character defects is I think I can do things better than everybody else. (laughs) Right. right? So in my mind, it was like, Hey, I'm going to show him, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do this and that and this and that. And, so about halfway through, I started thinking about it. I started asking some questions. Um, I, I spoke to my business partner, who's actually my sister-in-law. Um, and I, I, I pitched the idea to him. And, you know, as we started to get in closer, uh, about three months left before I was getting out of that sober living, I just we decided to get purchase a house. Um, and we drew up what our, what our agreement was going to be and what our rules and our contracts and our sober living contract was going to look like. And I talked to, you know, the, the guys in the house, I never once poached and that's, I, I, we don't poach people from other sober livings in my business. That's just wrong. Um, but four guys that I was actually my roommates, I lived in a master bedroom and there were four of us in there. Uh, they they knew what I was doing, but I never went to them and said, hey, you should move to my sober living. Um, they came and helped me set up some furniture and, you know, they all ended up coming to my sober living. And, you know, I, I the guy who actually owned the sober living I was in, he was actually my sponsor. Uh, and we had a falling out that day when I told him I was leaving and four of his guys were going with me. Um, but that was something they wanted to do. Nothing. I, you know, I, I would have left by myself and started doing it, but he did the same thing when he left the this place he was at, he was in sober living. He started his, he brought six guys with him from there. So I said, really, you're a mentor to me, if anything. And it took, it took a good two and a half years for us to talk again. And, you know, we kind of worked it out. You know, he told me nobody ever gets sober in my house. I, you know, I wouldn't be a success that I was going to fail. And, I probably passed his expectations and my expectations. And he's got, I think, two or three houses. I've got six houses. I stay full every month. And that's where a lot of my ideas came from, that this community of sober living 
in 2015, they didn't talk to other sober livings, right? They, if you called them, if they were full, they would put you on a wait list. And to me, that was a wait and die list or keep using and getting high list and put you on a wait list just for their home. Right. Right. Not another home. No, just, Hey, you know what? We, We should have somebody moving out this week. Well, you know, maybe, and they put you on a wait list. To me, that was keep getting high and you might die list. And uh, so I moved out of his sober living and I moved into the house that we got and the four guys came over and that's when I started transition sober living. And it's evolved over the years. Um, you know, I was very strict. Okay. You're going to go to six meetings a week and you're going to do the meetings I'm at. Why was I saying that? That's exactly what the sober living did that I came from that I felt like I was working somebody else's program and not my own. I truly believe today that the best program work is your own. So why can't you choose your own path? I don't have to force you to be AA. I mean, there's so many programs out there and guess what? My motto is I got drunk in a lot of different bars. I'm going to get my recovery in a lot of different places. I love that. I don't know where I'm going to be. When I want to drink, I may not be close to AA, but I might be close to, you know, celebrate recovery. Okay. Why can't I go in there and feel comfortable with who I am in my recovery? Yeah. And and so I moved out. I started my first one. I was going to continue to work in the finance business, which I did. And I was going to have one house and it was going to be my side gig. For a few years, I did both and I was only going to have the one house. And the farther I got into it with one house, then I got a second house. And But you're interacting with it. You didn't just like get this house and leave these guys alone. You were involved. with. I was them. living there for the first year. Yeah, living there. That's 15 months in the first house. Right. Then that's another 12 months in the house of yours. That's 27 months right there of sober mm-hmm. living, basically. Right. And then about another six months or so in my second house that I bought, I moved to it to get it up and running. Um, and there was a shed in the back um, that I lived in that I had, you know, drywall looked like the inside of the regular house. It just didn't have a bathroom. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> had a fake fireplace that put out heat. And I did another six months in there. So I did a long time in sober living. You did. Um, you did. And, you know, I, I learned to adapt, right? I mean, yeah, I understand I owned it, but I still lived there. I still followed the rules that they did. Um, you know, I UA'd myself or I had the house managers UA me and, you know, because I'm going to practice what I preach. Then I met my uh, the lady I'm with now and who I'm engaged to now who also owns Sober Living, but she does women's houses and I do men's houses. So then we kind of, I kind of got to finally move out after maybe 30 months of sober living to live on my own and figure that out. <laughs> so you're not just like a guy that started houses and started putting people in there. You've actually been there, lived it. You know, what's going on. You followed the rules. So anybody coming in, they know that you've, you've done your time in sober living. Exactly. And even today in six years, I mean, I opened in 2017, so, you know, not quite six years, but I still go to the houses probably every two days. Um, and walk through those houses and flop down on a couch, just like I live there and get to know these guys. And, you know, just cause I own it, I'm still the same distance from a drink as they are, unless they got a longer arm than mine, but we're only this <laughs> far away from getting a drink. Right. And, and I want these guys to understand that I'm an owner, but before that I'm an alcoholic addict, just like they are. I want them to be able to call me and say, Hey, I'm having a bad day. And, or I want to be able to call them, you know, my, you know, my club may not be around or somebody, I I want to be able to rely on everybody. You know, like I said, you never know when it's going to creep up on you. So yeah, sober living has been huge. It's been, you know, and then needless to say the job I was at for 17 years, making great money. I mean, way more money than I'm making now, but what I'm doing today keeps me sober. It's really, it's a way of life for me today. I don't know how I would act if I wasn't around people that are in recovery or doing what I do today with 65 men that I have living in my houses. 65 men you have living in your, that's amazing. Yeah, six, six houses, 65 men. So I've, I took three houses over back in August, two years ago. And uh, 
So I went from two houses to five houses overnight. That's when I, I said, you know, this is actually, a, this is a company, you know, this is, I'm not going to get rich, but you know what? I'm going to be sober and I'm going to, I have a better chance of waking up tomorrow sober doing what I'm doing than doing what I was doing, making all that money, doing finance and having everything I ever wanted, you know, given to me or worked for, I've always had a great worth ethic, but to me, it's not about the money today. It, it's it's about surrounding myself with a community of people. Yeah. So back in 2015, uh, when I opened my other sober living, others like I said, over other sober livings didn't work with each other. There wasn't that community. It was all about their sober living and keeping their houses full. Uh, and I met my fiance Aaron, and we sat in the back one of the houses, and I said, "Why don't we call all the sober livings in Colorado or that are in our vicinity?" And set something up to where we can refer back and forth to each other. Um, and let's go. So there was about 10 sober livings at that time that we got in. Our, you know, we, we met with them. We all went in one day and we all caravaned in cars. And we went to each of our own sober livings, sat at the kitchen table, let them talk to, we talked to their clients. They talked to my clients. I read their contract. I learned about their program. I walked to their house to see what it was like. And now I had a place to refer people to that I could say, hey, you know what? I'm full at this time. Why don't we send you to another sober living? Okay, You want to be in Aurora? Okay, here's two choices. You want to be in Lakewood? Here's three choices. Um, and since we've done that, we all basically, it's a core group of us, about 10 of us, 10 different sober livings. We meet quarterly. We have dinner together. We see what you're doing differently, what, you know. Like MAT, I didn't want to do MAT at the beginning and that medically assisted treatment or therapy um, because I didn't understand it. I was naive to it. Now I do it. I love it. I mean, I allow Suboxone, but I allowed another sober living to teach me that. So if you call and talk to me and I don't feel you're the right fit for my house or you need to be closer to your job over here, you don't have to sit on a wait list. We get you into a bed that night. I'll do the three-way call. I'll get them on the phone and say, hey, I got this client. I think it's a great fit for you. And we send them over there. That's amazing. So you guys went from everybody being independent to now where you network with each other. Yeah. So we started a Facebook page. We're we're trying to roll it out and use it a little bit more, but it's called Slick, which is Sober Living Initiative of Colorado or in Colorado. And yeah, we that's we kind of post our stuff there. We were, and then we got away from it for a while because we all got super busy taking over three houses in one night. But nobody, I rarely have a wait list now unless somebody says, hey, I 100% want to be in your house. But there's been times where I put them for five days in another sober living that had a bed, paid that sober living just so they could come to my house five days later. And to keep them alive. Right. I mean, and, or, you know, or to get them to work because it's not about my program. It's about getting you to the right program. You may come to my house and only stay three days and say, man, this isn't working. OK, I'm not going to kick you out on the street to where you're just going to use. I'm going to call eight other sober livings and, and get you in there. All of us say the same thing. And, you know, at the treatment centers that we speak at, we speak as a group. We used to all have our own individual days. Treatment centers were having three sober livings come in on three different days, basically saying the same thing. So you're taking up a lot of valuable treatment time to hear the same thing. So we said, no, let's stop that. We all know each other. We work together. Put us all on the same Zoom call or on the stage at the same time. Let us all take five, 10 minutes of our and tell a little bit about our program. And then the next person does it. Then the next person does it. And when they see that you guys are a community and not just a singular sober living, that we all work together, we do events together. We river rafted with other companies, other sober living. It's just, you know, I was, I was, I was looking on the website. You guys have been bowling, paintballing, rafting, all kinds of events that you guys are doing together as a sober community. Yeah. And we, you know, we've got a comedy show coming up and, you know, anything, you know, COVID came out and put a damper on a lot, but we had seven different sober livings and about 180 people in a park one day. And we did a huge barbecue. People from the community were allowed to just come in and, and see what it was all about. And I don't, I don't push transition sober living. I push sober living. Um, my program's not for everybody and nor am I going to make it for everybody. There's a lot of great programs that I work with that 
if I was ever, God forbid, relapse, that I would stay in any of those sober livings because I've been there and I've seen them and I know they have a great program. And some are more strict than others. Some have different curfews. Some have, you know, it just depends on what you're looking for. Not every bar is the same, right? So why is right. you know, why should every sober living be the same? We have to be unique in our own way. And I'm more of an accountability-based program because AA taught me I can't do this for anybody else. So I allow these guys to, I'm all pathways so they can pick their program they want to do. And, you know, I may not know every program out there. And I have guys that are doing Celebrate Recovery. I got guys that are doing Dharma and, and church. It, you know, nobody says how to get sober. Just try to get sober. <laughs> and that's that's just amazing. And somebody that thinks they need maybe more structure could go somewhere else. You yeah, know, we got to meet you where you're at. You have 78 five-star reviews. 78. Yeah, pretty proud of that. Um, yeah, that, that's amazing. Because I don't see a four star on it's all five star reviews, you know. And and I and I I, I kind of contribute that to my the program that these guys have created in the house and how they feel about transition sober living. Um, that I own the houses, so I buy the house. They they turn it into home. Each one of my homes or each one of my houses is a different home because of the different group of guys that are in there. They run that house how they want to run it with a house manager. All my house managers live on in the house but, and have over a year of recovery in the house. But I just think it's that thing where I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just making suggestions on how, how you should work a program or any program. You know, at the end of the day, don't drink or drug, Okay figure out your program. And these guys wake up when they're not forced to, to go to a certain meeting at a certain time. And, you know, some of the reviews are about that, about how I allow them to work their own program. And I think that's huge. I didn't want to work somebody else's program. 15 and a half months, I did somebody else's program. And when I left there and opened my own sober living for, you know, eight months, I still went to the same meetings he was having all his guys go to because I didn't know how to go to a different meeting. I, I, you know, I came institutionalized again in sober living. <laughs> there you go. Right. I was you went from one prison to another. Right. And, and to me, that's where I said, listen, if, if AA tells me I can't do this for anybody else, and I, I don't think I can do it wrong other than give you a safe place to stay and develop your own program. I have guys that have never been to a meeting. They're working. Uh, they have a recovery coach and they're coming up on three and a half years in my house. Okay. I mean, that it's working for them. That's amazing. And you have people from all different backgrounds too, um, because you've got Vance Johnson, the former uh, Denver Bronco wide receiver that um, he's supporting you too. And then I'm looking on here you, with your reviews. You have a guy that did um, more than two decades in prison that lives in one of your houses. So, I mean, that's two different spectrums of, of uh, people that are supporting you. Yeah. And and that guy you spoke about, I mean, he, he did, he was so institute. He became one of my house managers, believe it or not. You know, we, we all did stuff in our addiction and I, I can't remember if he did what, you know, 20 years, 23 years. I don't know what he did. He did a bunch of time and it, you know, it was over a bar fight and it happened and he did his time and, I did 10 years in the penitentiary, so I know what it's like to be institutionalized. And I also know what the feeling is to say, listen, I paid my debt to society. Okay, now it's not what I did for 10 years in the penitentiary. It's what I do when I get out. And so I gave this guy a shot. And after he'd been there a bit, he ended up becoming a house manager. And I've had attorneys that live in my house. I've had you know former football players that live in my house, not Vance Johnson, but, you know, and I've had guys that were, you know, sleeping down on Colfax, uh, you know, on the street for years, been in my house. Um, I believe everybody deserves a chance to recover. So I don't really, you know, I don't really pick and choose who comes. There, there are certain crimes that we don't allow in sober living, sex offense and arson, um, just because of the insurance uh, reasoning behind it. But everybody else, I'm, I'm pretty, you know, if you've done a bit of time and it was, let's say, you know, it was, homicide or something like that. I'm still going to look at you. I'm, you know, how much time did you do? You know, how often did it happen? What have you done while you were there? I truly believe that every, you know, cause that's my background too, not homicide, but 
10 years in prison over drugs and alcohol. I think everybody deserves a chance to recover. And, and I, I, as a, a former convict, <laughs> I agree 100,000% uh, because I've done my time and I've been in and out of jail since I was 12 years old, yeah. all the way up into my forties. So there's a lot of amazing people out there that just got caught. <laughs> right. Right. And there's a lot of people that never did get caught. that did a lot worse than what I did. Okay. Yes. So, you know, come to my house and act right. Find a program that works for you. Don't drink or drug. You don't have to like everybody that comes to my house. Just get along with everybody. Pick and choose the people, you know, find your tribe inside the house or find your tribe outside the house. I allow my guys to hang out with other sober living guys. You know, there's some sober livings that don't allow that. They're like, oh, it's our program. And you guys, you know, no, get a community of people. And I don't care where you get them as long as you're clean and sober. Just get sober. Just get sober. You know, build up some time. Keep that choice. That's what we're trying not to lose today is that ability of choice. I have a choice to drink or drug today. I choose not to because I know what happens if I do drink or drug. I lose the ability for choice and I'm going to drink again. So I, I like I said, drinking and drugging is not my problem. That was my solution. Mental health and my my coping skills on life on life's term situations is what gets me in trouble. And, you know, trying to drink away my past and not to not to feel it. I got to feel it. I got to go through therapy and feel it. I don't have to feel it anymore. I understand my place in it. I know where I was wrong. I know where everybody else was wrong in it. I don't have to think about it anymore. Um, you know, and by surrounding myself with people that have been in the same place and same situations as I have makes my recovery really easy today. You know, my fiance has well, on the 11th is going to have seven years. I, we're like-minded people, even though we're male and female, but she knows what it's like. I, and she does the exact same job I do just on the women's side. So I, I didn't find somebody that, oh, drank on the weekends or maybe smoked a little bit of weed. And, you know, I'm going to be fine with that. But, yeah, so. And between the two of you, you guys are housing. About 100, 116, 115 people a month. That's amazing. Does she have women that are coming out of prison too? In her yeah. Yeah. We, we're both sort of, uh, we're all, we're both car, car certified, which is Colorado Association of Recovery Residences. They're the ones that are overseen by OBH to make sure that we run our houses with some certainty of code of ethics and we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. Um, we're both master servicers for probation and parole. Um, we're not trying to turn our houses into parole houses and or halfway houses since they shut a lot of them down. Um, you do have to be a level five or higher substance abuse score to come into sober living because the guy who smoked one joint 10 years ago, you know, that may not have a problem. We're not trying to take up beds for people that are just trying to get out of the penitentiary. We're trying to allow beds to people that really want help that went through substance abuse programs while they were locked up. And that, are, that want to transition, which the name transition from wherever they're out into a sober living environment. Right. Figure, figure out your path, man. You know, as long as you're not drinking or drugging, I considering what our past has been, I don't think we can do it wrong. You know, we're going to make mistakes. Yeah, we're, we're definitely going to make mistakes. But, you know, as long as you stay clean and sober and you can, you know, you made your amends and you try to work you know, do the next right thing. This is, this is a, a journey. This is a journey. It's not a destination. I'm never going to be okay where I'm never going to drink again. I'm not going to drink for today. I'm going to continue on my journey knowing that there's, I'm never going to just be better and I'm never going to have to worry about it because I still have my brain and then my brain is my problem. Right. And life situations is my problem and my way of acting towards things around me. That's my problem. Right. I can let anything make me want to drink. But today I have, you know, it takes me 40 seconds to change my thought. OK, and this is something I, I, I put into the heads of my guys that for me, twice, two or three times in early recovery, I found myself in front of a liquor store. And there's always that little period of time that you sit in your car. Do I do it? Do I not do it? Can I get away with it? Anybody going to know? You know, I'm running through that scenario in my head. But when I was in treatment, I wrote down and I said, if I ever find myself in front of a liquor store, two things are going to happen. Okay. One, I'm going to write down 
the pros and cons to my last three relapses. Okay. And if I have more pros to that relapse, then I'm going to allow myself to go drink. And because I'm an addict and may lie on that sheet. The second thing is, is I'm going to count to 40. It takes me 40 seconds to change my thought. I ride in a motorcycle club today where we do poker runs and we stop and we draw cards inside a, a bar. Okay. I'm around men that aren't drinking, but yet when I walk in there to draw the card, I look at alcohol. Why? Because I'm an addict alcoholic. But once I look at that alcohol, I start to count to 40. And what that tells me is why am I counting to 40? Because I don't want to drink. So I count to 40 and I think of something different. I mean, that that's just my way of coping with things and getting through it is I, I don't want to drink today more than I want to drink. And I want to keep it that way. And certain things remind me, you know, one, if I write down my pros and cons, why am I doing this? Because you said you don't want to drink. You're not doing it because you want to drink. If you're thorough and honest about it, you're going to have more cons than pros. So don't go drink. You said you wouldn't. So I, I run these little scenarios through my head and two or three times that it happened, I turned left, backed out and didn't drink. So you talked about the journey. For me, it's the best journey that I've been on in my life. I'm 58 and I've I've had one hell of a life, a huge backstory. This is the best journey for me that I've ever been on. How about you? Oh, it's amazing. I mean, I get to today, right? I get to do this. I, and the way we met each other was through another podcast that you, you guys did with Wagon with Coffee. With Peanut, Tammy, and yeah. Yeah, Wagon with Coffee. Tammy from Wagon Coffee, who's a real good friend. And I get to do this. Nobody asked me to do this in my addiction, you know, I get to go to bed at night and not pass out. I get to wake up in the morning and not come to. And I don't get up and hit my knees and pray that I don't drink today. I get up and the first thing I think about is which house am I going to go to? And who can I talk to today that's in recovery? I find it's I'm not looking to talk to people that are struggling all the time. I love to talk to people that are doing the deal, that are like-minded and, and not struggling. But there's going to be the people that you know, God, I guess, puts in my path that are struggling. And there's times that I struggle too. And when I walk into a house and there's four guys sitting on the couch and they're watching a football game and we sit down, miraculously, 20 minutes later, I'm not struggling anymore. And it's just because we all sat together and I allowed my mind to settle down a little bit. And, you know, I, I didn't drink. The journey and the things that have come through this, my fiance, the houses, just the, the community and relationships that I've built in sober living and treatment centers and probation officers. My probation officer on my two DUIs that said I would probably end up back in prison again puts men in my houses today and pays for them. How huge is that? That is just, that's amazing. And it's mind blowing. Here's a guy that got thrown in the penitentiary for 10 years, got out, somehow stayed sober for the, the next 13 years on top of that, goes back into addiction, comes back out, and you're having that probation officer refer people to you. Yeah. And, you know, I, I get to sit on, you know, I get, I'm invited to go to court for my clients that are actually going through a DUI. And I get to speak to a judge about how they're doing in my program or the program. And they listen to me. Uh, you know, I've gotten guys that judge said, hey, we're not going to put you back in jail. We're going to let you stay in sober living. We see it's a great environment for you to be and progress in and build a recovery program around you. And you know, it's just amazing that, you know, the people that are doing the same thing I'm doing, I get invited to things. I get to speak at treatment centers and we do all kinds of all kinds of stuff with you know the, the winter symposium out here with all the treatment centers and therapists and you know we're known all through Colorado people call from you know I get people out of Texas and they've heard through treatment centers out there and yeah it, it's it's amazing when you do the right thing or the next right thing how things start to fall in place yeah you went from tearing up communities to building yeah. communities. You know, and, and that's the, that's, what's amazing about this. And it's, 
and it's not all me, you know, it's, it's my 65 guys and right. Right. You know, that, that are doing this deal, you know, not everybody's going to make it. I understand that. Okay. And people are going to fail. I, you know, and, but I'm going to give them the option and maybe we kept them alive a week longer or kept them from using for an, a week. You know, that's just how a little bit deeper that seeds planted in them to where maybe the next time they use, they have a guilty conscience about it. And maybe they don't use for as long. You just had five people die at one time, right? In, there and yeah, out here in Colorado, it did an apartment complex. Yeah. Over fentanyl. Yeah. They got some cocaine and it was laced with fentanyl. And like I was telling you, the street weed out here is laced with fentanyl. It's, it, it's, it's so scary. And like I told you before we started this, that, you know, when I got high, I didn't worry about dying. I knew I'd go to work tomorrow. You know, I might be a little tired, but today with what I see with fentanyl that you don't know if you're going to make it, you know, your risk of overdosing is so high on that. I couldn't imagine, you know, what, what the people are going through that are hooked to fentanyl and how they can't get away from it and how it's never the same. That's why people are overdosing. They may get one pill that has more than the other pill and they may even do less the second time, but yet it has more fentanyl in it. It's, it's just, it's scary. It's scary. And one of our best friends just lost a 20-year-old son two days ago to fentanyl. So it's killing people. And that was in California. It's killing people everywhere. It is. It's, you know, it's something's got to happen. And, you know, it's a scary thought in in sober living because, you know, the overdose rate in sober livings is, you know, can get, you know, every, every sober living has had an, uh, had an overdose. Um, you know, I, I would be admiss if I didn't say we had one three months ago, um, you know, guy doing great, been with me five months and, uh, was working, going to college, uh, just bought a brand new car, just killing it. Thought he could go use one time and overdosed. Wow. You know, it had everything going for him. But that's addiction. That's right. addiction. Right. It's never going to go away. And, you know, sometimes we want to reward ourselves. But, you know, that reward could be the end of everything. And so we're, we're fighting the addiction. We're fighting the recovery side of it. We're fighting mental health. There's so many different things that we're dealing with on an individual basis of, you know, with 65 guys, you know, I may have a guy that's not mental health and a guy who is mental health. And, you know, we're trying to make these guys coexist together. (laughs) Right. 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 And understand that. Yeah, he isn't you. So I tell my guys, don't, don't work your program through somebody else because you're going to fail. Okay. Work your program. Don't do what they're doing. I have guys that come in and go straight to work and they're not in an IOP program. And then I have guys that are coming from IOP that don't get to work, having a little bit earlier curfew. What What's IOP? Uh, it's uh, intensive outpatient. So instead of being in a treatment center, I work really closely with uh, uh, Footprints to Recovery out here, which is uh, an IOP. So they go in partial hospitalization classes every day, sit five days a week, but they transport them back to my house. So they stay in my house at night and they go to IOP or PHP. IOP, you go three days a week or five days a week. PHP, uh, you do longer days for five days a week. You know, so they can't go get jobs and work full time because no, they're, they're doing intense. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. they see the guys in my house that have been there a year that are working, you know, every day. Well, they want to try to do that, too. And I say, you know, you can't base your program off of them. They've already done the early work. And now this is where they're at. So, you know, we deal with you know, some crazy situations. I can honestly say 65 guys, six houses. I have never had a single fight in any of my houses. That's amazing. I've had some good arguments. And sometimes for two in the morning, I had to drive over to the house, but I have never had. Now I'm not going to say they didn't go down the street or something, but I have never had a single fight in any of my houses. That's amazing. Zero tolerance to that. I I think this is really wonderful that we have two men sitting here. I've, just in prison alone, I is around six and a half years. If you added the jails, I have no idea. It just goes way up in years because six different states extradited three times from one state to another. And here we are both in this environment where we're given, we can give back now instead of destroying. And my brother just told my mom, she sent a text uh, last week that his probation officer is referring his 
parolees to Silvertown. Nice. Because I used to tear Boise, Idaho up. That was my stomping ground. And that's where that was at. Hearing that coming out of Boise, Idaho, which is a thousand miles away from me, it really warmed my heart. Yeah. And, you know, it, because we put the work in with what you're doing and what what I've created for my guys to do and the people that I hang around. I which is also a really cool church that, that that's out there in life. Yeah, free, 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 free community. Um, and that's for Tammy who has wagon coffee that they serve out of there. And that her husband, Ryan, who's the pastor of free it's for um, addicts, loved ones of addicts and spiritual refugees. So it definitely is geared towards the addiction side, um, not the religion side, more spirituality. To me, you know, religion is for people that are scared to go to hell and you know, <laughs> right. spirituality are for people that already been there, right? Like us. Yeah. So it's, it's amazing. And that's something I probably wouldn't have done, you know, many years ago. I wouldn't have, but I'm willing to try anything because I love where I'm at today. Right. You know, I love where I'm at today. And I don't worry about drinking and drugging. I can walk into a liquor store and buy a vape pen and not look at alcohol like I'm going to buy it. Not that I do that very often, but alcohol is not my problem. I'm my problem. So no matter where I'm at, there I am. So I always, I'm always with my problem. It's just how I, how I work through things today is a little bit differently. I get to pause today. I have a huge network of people and anywhere I go. Anywhere I go, I mean, Texas, uh, Florida, I work with treatment centers all over, California, and I, I can find my tribe anywhere I go today. And, you know, I'll tell people if I'm traveling, hey, I'm coming out to town. I ride with Sober Souls Motorcycle Club. You know, we ride out of state and uh, we were just in Knoxville, Tennessee, and we were in Gulfport, Mississippi, and I found my tribe. I went to a meeting while I was out there. And may not have been the normal meeting that I go to these days It's called NEA meetings, but it was an AA meeting. And, you know, I got to talk, talk to some people in recovery and I get to, you know, so here you got this, this, this club riding down the road on their bikes and nobody's drinking. I remember where I've been, man. It's, we just did a couple of four of us uh, went out to Knoxville, Tennessee. We did 10 states, seven days, 4,500 miles. Oh, you guys are, you guys are iron asses is what you are. Yeah, we, 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 we ride. Uh, we, <laughs> we, uh, you know, we do a lot of ride. And, you know, I don't remember. I rode for a long, I rode for 35 years. And I don't remember a lot of the time when I, I mean, I, I rode my bike drunk all the time. I don't remember what I did, but I remember everything I do now. I, I remember where I've been. I remember the people that I'm meeting. It, it's like you said, there's so many gifts to this to where it's not really a program for me today. It's it's how I live. It's my the, life today. The journey is a way of life. Right. I don't have to work at it because I've done it long enough that it's kind of programmed into me that it's just normal everyday life. Yeah, it's just so amazing that I get to do this. This has been a gift of recovery to me. And, you know, I get to spend it with somebody who's also in recovery and like-minded and business-minded like I am that, you know, matter of fact, I was at one of her houses right before we did this and one of her girls locked her keys in the car and, you know, was (laughs) it was running. So they call me, of course, why you're you know, sure I could break into your car. Sure. Five minutes later, I had her car door open and, you know, I have those gifts and skills still, but I use them for good today. Amen. And, you know, I love it. I, I, I just, it's just amazing. And what you guys are doing with Sober Town is amazing. Like I said, we, we met through, I got to watch a podcast that you guys did with peanut. And that's when I reached out and said, Hey, you know what? I'd love to talk to you. I want to, build that community. I got lots of guys in my club and my houses that want to share, have something to say. And I want to do that with you guys with, you know, men that want to share their stories too. I'm trying to build in a community too of sober warriors, because just like what just happened in right there in Colorado with five people in one apartment dying with fentanyl, you know, and then this 20 year old kid, boo dying, you know, our friend's kid. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mentioned we're going to we're going to bury more people than we marry. 
in this disease. We just had a funeral yesterday for one of my fiance's girls that used to live in her house. It's been struggling since she moved out and, you know, three overdoses in a week and the fourth one was fatal. Um, and I consider her a recovery daughter. She was, you know, I, I spent lots of time with her in recovery and her child. And, and yeah, this is a taker. This disease is going to take more than it's going to give. And recovery is going to give you a lot more than it's going to take. If, if you can get into the recovery side of this. And the gifts just don't stop. They, they don't. Just don't stop. And, you know, even if it's, I went to bed today, I had a shitty day, but yet I didn't use, that's a gift, man. That's, it is. And, you know, that's what you have to realize is I can have a really bad day all day long, but I get to come home and I get to wake up the next day and I get to try it again instead of saying, ah, I'm just going to sleep all day or, you know, whatever. I don't have to look in my rear view mirror anymore for police cars. I can actually get pulled over today and not go to jail and, you know, to take the ticket. If, if it's for speeding or whatever on my bike, which I haven't had in a long, long time, I don't worry about going to jail today. Now I've been invited to go back to the prisons and talk to people, uh, you know, and I never thought that would happen. I just thought I was going to do what I did all my, all my life, but yeah, it's a recovery is such a blessing and the gifts that you get may not be huge right off the bat, but they're still gifts. You woke up sober this morning. OK, you don't have to you never have to drink or drug again if you have quit. You know, if you're passing a UA, you have a choice today. You do not have to drink. It's what you're going to do not to drink. Right? Put your program before it. Put somebody in between you and that drink and, you know, give it a shot, not to pick up that shot. Just and, and wherever it's at, it could be on, it could be online with these sober communities. It could be uh, at free church. It could be in a sober living home. And that's the cool thing about these sober living homes. If you know that you can't make it outside a structure, put yourself into, into a, a structured environment. Right. And it's better than where we're going to end up. I mean, sober living was, I had a great time. I mean, and it was very militant, very structured. It was, you know, I had a great time going, coming home and cooking with those guys and, uh, you know, going to meetings with them and doing all the stuff that we did. You know, we can have fun today. You know, it, it's it's we can do whatever we want if we put our minds to it. And today I don't spend a lot of time thinking about drinking or drugging. It's just about who can I go spend some time with today that's in recovery that, you know, where I don't have to worry about my program so much because I'm with somebody that's sober. And, you know, we can go to basketball games today. I can go see Five Finger Death Punch today and not drink or drug. Why? Because I can walk around that stadium and find yellow balloons anywhere I go here in Colorado. Okay. And you know about the yellow balloons, right? It's no, crazy. tell me about them. So in Colorado, there's a place called Sober AF. You use the AF for whatever you want. It's called Sober AF, and it's Duke Rumley. He's on Facebook and everything. So they have sober tailgate parties. They get sober sections at concerts and basketball games and baseball games. And they do Grateful Dead concerts. But if you're ever at a concert and you see a table and there's yellow balloons, those are people in recovery. Yeah, so you can find people with yellow balloons, and you know they're in AA or NA, and if you're struggling at a concert, you can go sit at the table and talk to them. Go to, go to the table and say, hey, I'm struggling. And they, you know, that's what it is. That's And they do it all over. And it's not just Sober AF Entertainment that does it. Uh, they, you know, lots of people do it all over the nation. And, you wow, know, it's cool. getting more and more prevalent, like at the, it uh, used to be the Pepsi Center here now, uh, Ball Arena is what it's called now. I've been to concerts and just, you know, I wasn't struggling or anything, just walking to go get a soda and saw a table and yellow balloons. And I knew exactly what it was. So that's my tribe set up right there in case I need them Boom. in case I'm struggling. Or maybe I can go ask them, Hey, I'm not struggling. I'd love to sit here at your table. And if somebody comes up, I'd love to talk to them. Right. You're like-minded people. You're the same tribe. That's amazing. Tell everybody how to find you. My sober living is uh, www. T is in Tom, S is in Sam, L is in Larry, Colorado.com. Uh, that's my website for Transition Sober Living. You can reach out to me on my cell phone. That's 303-501-6500.
yeah, you know, if anybody's struggling or wants help or moving to Colorado or wants to know more about sober living, I, you know, I not only know about sober living here in Colorado, I know about sober living pretty much everywhere and help and can help find you a place to get into. Man, that's amazing. So, Scott, it's been a pleasure knowing you. I want to do more of these with you and meet some of your guys too. So I'd love to. And like I said, I've got a couple of my guys in my club that would love to do this also. You know, we can recover no matter what I do. I can ride in a traditional motorcycle club and I don't have to drink and I don't have to go steal motorcycles. And I get, I get to be and walk around in the addicted community and just be a beacon of hope for somebody out there that just feels hopeless. Yeah, man, I love it. I love what you guys are doing. I love what you're doing for the people. I love what you're doing for the communities. And it's just, it's amazing. And between the two of you, you're housing like 115 people a month on yep. top of that. So We're growing. We plan on growing. But like I said, I'm just, I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. And I'm just going to take it day by day and just continue to move forward. And I do appreciate all you, what you guys are doing. And I plan on following you guys a lot more. And I'd love to do some more of this Absolutely. and get some other, some of my guys and some of my club involved in this and, you know, continue to carry that message. Well, you know, it's going to take a community to fight everything that's going on. Oh yeah. Scott. And, and I believe that we're just at a really critical point here where I think, a lot of people are open to this because you just see all the people on online trying to get sober. Yeah. So it's amazing. Yeah. It, it, you know, this isn't going away and there, everybody's always going to need something. And I've just found my little niche in sober living here in Colorado. And, but the magic is a community. It's community. That's the magic. Right. I can't do this by myself. Me neither. Right. And I could be selfish and say I'm doing it by myself. But really, I, I surround my people in strong recovery. And that really makes my recovery really easy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Boom. I love it. All right. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Scott, thank you very much. Thanks uh, for tra- having me. Transition Sober Living. And boom, remember, pour the poison down the sink. <laughs>